0: From the moment we're born and lock eyes with our parents, we are inspiring others. By showing up as a vessel of service, we not only help others, we help ourselves. Welcome to SOS Stories of Service, hosted by Teresa Carpenter, hear from ordinary people from all walks of life who have transformed their communities by performing extraordinary
1: work. Hello everybody and welcome to the 76th episode of Stories of Service uh, where I feature people from all walks of life who show up in service to their respective community. Ordinary people who do extraordinary work. I'm the host, uh, Teresa Carpenter. And today, as we always do, I have another amazing guest and somebody that I have been such a fan of uh, for many, many months. Uh, I think I met her on a, uh, a webinar that Sarah Carroll does many, many, many months ago, where I was the speaker, and I've uh, been wanting to have her on my show ever since. Uh, we've been in touch on LinkedIn. So Jennifer Tracy, welcome to the show.
0: Hello, 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 everyone. What an honor to
1: be here. Well, thank you, thank you. So um, we're going to be talking about a lot of issues that are that are tough to talk about, but that I think are important to talk about Um and so I'm just going to get right into the intro and read a little bit about Jennifer, and then we're just going to start asking questions. So I first want you guys to imagine that a drunk driver who has repeated offenses, he takes the life of your husband and daughter. Now imagine yourself forgiving that man, fighting to keep on so that you can remain raise your remaining two daughters, filing for bankruptcy, and then going on and to become a motivational speaker, an inspirational storyteller, an author, a business owner someone who is using her own story now to elevate others and that's what jennifer here has done and today what we're going to do is we're going to dive deep into how she did it you're going to hear a story of resilience and triumph and how to overcome the odds and that's a lesson to us all and something that you guys can too jennifer tracy has shared her message of hope with countless thousands she is a highly sought after author transformational speaker life coach and mental health advocate She began her career as an inspirational speaker five years after the death of her husband and daughter in 2004. In her book, From the Deepest Darkness to the Light of Hope, Jennifer has let down her guard in her uniquely brave and beautiful way to allow those who are suffering inside her mind as her story lights the way to what is possible despite the impact of multiple traumatic life experiences. She has been featured in the media and multiple news outlets, newspapers, and in other outlets. Such as the Cal and and the California Department of Transportation honored Jennifer and her daughters on the Colorado Rockies field for her speaking efforts. Her story of forgiveness, which we're going to dive deep into, has also reached a national audience through Good Housekeeping Magazine. Welcome again, Jennifer.
0: Hi. Let me just tell you, I hate bios.
1: (laughs) Do you really? Why?
0: I think it's because um, they they can like feel like this, it's like this stack up, right? Mm -hmm. Stack up of like all the reasons why you should listen or pay attention or whatever. And to me at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm, I'm you. I'm a woman who lives in a community who's gone through a lot of crap. We all have gone through a lot of stuff. Maybe mine is more adverse than others, but I don't know. I, (laughs) bios are always
1: (laughs) like, okay, (laughs) right i know and i and i have a hard time too even when somebody reads my bio i'm kind of like Ugh, did, is that really me and so it, it's tough i think um i i do like reading them as a as a way to pay pay homage to the guest and i want people to get a little bit of an idea of what we're what we're talking about before the show starts but i definitely think that it's tough you can't summarize anybody's life in in four to five paragraphs because we're, we're such a, a layered tapestry of individual life experiences and peaks and valleys and all those kinds of things. So first off, I just want to know where are you from? And uh, tell me a little bit about your childhood.
0: Yeah. So I am in Florida. I'm in Tallahassee right at the moment.
1: Moved to Sarasota,
0: which is, you know, further down south. And that honestly is my happy place. The Siesta Key Beach, the white beaches are my favorite um but during covid my my fiance and i at the time now i'm married we moved up to tallahassee and we found our dream home up here if you could see uh the piece of land that we get to live on it's it's uh surrounded by conservatory so there's all these trees he loves the city and i love the country so it was the perfect like we are nine That's minutes so from-
1: yeah it is
0: it really is so i'm in tally and Childhood, not an easy story, but um, I love my family. I love my family so much and
1: a lot of good and a lot of hard memories from childhood. So let's just kind of get right into that. Um, What do you think starting off in your childhood was sort of that first rock that you think that you hit that sort of started to build your resilience to where you are today? Wow. That's a tough one. Um,
0: My brother and I were both sexually assaulted by someone who was outside of our family. And he was 14. I was 11 and he turned to drugs and alcohol. He stole a motorcycle, was going 120 miles down an interstate, crashed and was in a coma for three months. And it was during that time that I made a commitment to this little, young, 11-year-old self of mine that I would never do drugs and alcohol. And to this day, I've never done drugs. Uh, I didn't actually really start drinking till I was 39 years old. Mm -hmm. I had no idea how hard that commitment that I had made to myself not to do drugs or to drink, how hard that would be after my husband and daughter were killed. There were minutes, moments, absolute times where I wanted to be numb and not present. So and, and
1: your and your story is well known to the people who follow you. Um, but can you take us back a little, just a little bit about sort of that's kind of the the hallmark story that is sort of defines your work and, and you talk about uh, quite a bit in your social media posts. But to take 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 me back briefly to what 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 it, what that was like for you and, and, and how you moved through that.
0: Through, are you talking about Brian and Brittany? Yes. Yeah. Um. you and I kind of talked a little bit about this. I genuinely feel like by this time they died, that I had gone through things in my life that I chose to see Uh, as as ways that prepared me. And one of the things that I think is tough is I hate feeling powerless. (laughs) And so I will do just about anything I can to find the lesson, the thing that I can claim and say, this happened to me, but here's what I did with it this happened to me, but here's what I did with it. So as I was sharing with you, all of that stuff had happened to my brother. Right. Right. And it was like this little perfectionist inside of me was like, well,
1: I'm never going to do that. Right. I'm going to be different.
0: Right. I'm right. And, and, and these were all commitments that I made that I didn't realize, well, when Brian and Brittany were killed, the fact that I had struggled, The fact that i had battled suicidal ideation and went in and got help all of those things came out and were used against me in this system saying because you've been in the psychiatric unit you're unfit and because you went and saw a therapist and you wrote in your journal which by the way my mother-in-law had sickening literally put like my journal of abuse and submitted it as evidence, and they made me read that in the courtroom about what had happened to me, and they tried to use those things against me, okay? Like, throughout all of those things, I just kept looking at what can I control in these situations? And it doesn't come natural, it did not come natural for me to learn how to override, to compartmentalize, and that is the part where I just, I relate to all of you guys who have the warrior spirit, your capacity to have a mission in front of you and to override with natural human to accomplish something. That's where I relate. You You have a civilian firefighter who shows up and everything naturally human, how they feel or what they experience, they have to override that to accomplish something in that moment. And when I was fighting for my children after Brian and Brittany were killed, My brother-in-law at the time would egg me on in the hallway of the hospital because he wanted me to lose my shit, Teresa. Oh, my God. So that he could go back into the courtroom and say, look at her. Look Mm -hmm. at how she's acting, right? And so I had this insane ability to look at him and say, you are my enemy. My children are behind you. They are my mission. And I will override this instinct to want to kill you. Like, here we are, right? Like, I'm going to override this instinct. I think sometimes people just look at me, and I don't know what they think, if they think I'm, like, all soft and bubbles and fluff, but I'm like, Mm-mm. I wanted my children. And so I overrode this insane heart and said, I'll do whatever it takes to get my children. They were my mission, right? And I did. I fought for eight months. Every two weeks, I had to drive from Colorado out to Iowa for supervised visits of my children for eight months. And they still weren't going to give them to me until I walked into the small county that I lived in, in Colorado, went up to the um, like child protective services and said, please come to my house. Please do a study. Please make me go through any program that you deem that I need to go through. But I want my children and I will not stop.
1: It's just, it, it really illuminates, and, and, I, and I highly recommend that you guys read her book, uh, From the Deepest Darkness to the Light of Hope, because she talks, Jennifer talks about this whole story and about her, her kids being taken away from her by her, her mother-in-law and the fight she had to, to take on after losing her husband and her daughter to, 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 to fight for your kids. And I remember that the, what really stuck out to me is the part where you basically had to get in front of the situation and sit down with a supervised person and say, this is how we spent our time together. Have her sign how you spent the, your time together. And, and actually that was one of my questions was the social worker who was testifying on behalf of your in-laws, who you said was a family friend, which is bizarre, right? Um, Was there any accountability for the fact that you caught that person
0: in a lie? Never. And not with the judge either. And like, that's that part where uh, anyone who is listening to this today, anywhere where we share this, I I want people to understand that there are things that happen today that are just unfair. Mm -hmm. Our system, there are people in power. There are people with money. There are people who will buy their way to get whatever they want and it's unfair But my challenge for everyone listening to this today is if you can clearly define, I don't know if you got to like see that, that page in my book that that win the war Mm -hmm. battle, like my war, my outright war every day when I wake up is to not ever die by my own hands. It is to not be perfect, but at the end of my children's life, I want them to say, my mom was there. And that's my war. That is my war. Anything that falls on the outside of that. Struggle, failed marriages, whatever it is. Right. I want them to know that I did not die by my own hand. And I didn't die a slow death to depression and addiction and anxiety that I fought my way through those things. And here I am 19 years later on the other side of this kicking it because. I love me and I fight for me. And that happened in the psychiatric unit. I can only tell you that that as you read <laughs> I went in a perfectionist, my perfect little house, <laughs> my very decorated, you know, this very nice facade and when you come out of the psychiatric unit, you cannot pretend you're perfect anymore.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> I've I've been through my, I've been through a psychiatric ward myself and it's very illuminating to see. Um, I I thought it was interesting too, how you showed how in the book, there are people that go into these places too, that don't have this past of trauma and all these other things. Sometimes there's something, maybe like you said, the DNA uh, or something else or a health issue. I mean, it's, it's so complex mental health and your book really normalizes getting care. It really shows that mental health is physical health. It's no different. We shouldn't treat it any different and it's no different. And it sounds like you had all these different building blocks to get to where you are today and to get to be a speaker. And that's, that's sort of my next thing. So you, you you fight uh, for your children. You you win that fight. You're going through therapy. How how did you go? Okay, now I'm going to take this message public, and I'm going to be a public speaker, and I'm going to turn this into a business. I'm going to write books. How did how did that even start? It's so interesting
0: because when I look at people today who go through tragic things, sometimes. I wish that I could give them like a little bit of like a heed of warning because if you go through something tragic, right, and you have little ones at home or your relationship, your marriage is struggling, it's probably not the best idea to pour yourself into a new nonprofit or into a book or into this endeavor you you got to really get clear and say, no, i got to make sure that things behind here are okay and they're set up before you go do that. Because I see a lot of people who go through tragedy and then they write a book and then they, you know, they go on to do mm-hmm. all this stuff. But stuff behind on the home front isn't solid, right? So I didn't speak, Teresa, for five years. I had news people who wanted to run stories. I, I declined, For five years, I did nothing but behind the scene, literally go to therapy, do EMDR, cook dinner every day for my children, be at their school. Thank God that their teachers didn't see me as an insane mom. Like I just, I had lost so much and I was afraid of losing them too. And so they were going to this small school in Milliken and they let me come and teach Spanish. Like I was just a volunteer who would teach Spanish to the other students. So for five years, I didn't speak. Then I had a friend, her name was Maya. She was a victim's advocate for mothers against drunk driving. And she said, Jennifer, whenever you're ready, we would love to hear your story. It's a powerful story. And so it wasn't until five years after that Mm -hmm. I shared my story at a law enforcement recognition breakfast. When I stood up and I shared that story, I thought I was going to throw up because I felt so sick inside.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But that was that moment where I realized if I can override wanting to beat the crap out of my brother-in-law because I see a mission past him, right? Mm-hmm. Right. It that was that moment that I realized I can override this natural Jennifer part of me, which was very feminine and very soft. Mm-hmm. I. I did not cuss. I made curtains. I made quilts. I, and honestly, I was, when I say soft, I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean, I was very, very feminine. (laughs) (laughs) When Brian and Brittany were killed, I put on Kill Bill when the kids were at school and I would pretend I was Uma Thurman and I would like, you know, like I (laughs) I would practice slaying things in order to like fight for my children. Yeah. I would like, I, I, I stepped into an arena one. I never wanted to be in like, I have always looked at you guys who have fought for my freedom. All of you. I've always said, I don't know how you do that. That that's not me. Mm-hmm. I, I would never sign up. I would never raise my hand up and say, yeah, I want to go out there and fight those battles. Are you kidding me? That is not me. But here I am today, 19 years later, Signing up to be on a platform where I'm like, oh, hell yeah, I'm in. Mm -hmm. There's a battle. There's an outright battle right now, mental health-wise, stigma, politics, all this stuff, right? And I see it. I see it as this huge clump of stuff that's getting in the way. And I see it. And I see it clearly. I've identified it. And I'm like, and then I just see past it. And so I think one of the hardest things about getting here is that you know that the movie, a few good men,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, that one defining moment where he is just on, mm-hmm. you know, um, listen,
1: he's on the stand
0: and yeah, yeah. Tom Cruise has got him, you know, yeah. Tom Cruise yep. has got him and he's, he's like, you can't handle the truth. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That's how I feel. Like, that's how I feel is like the world cannot handle the truth about why we are in this mess
1: no they can't because
0: you know because everyone thinks that they have the solution but realistically we have to empower people we do to figure out what their solution is right right and like and that's why i wrote my everybody book. you know that's why i wrote my book that's why you see me right now literally gifting it to anyone who feels it's like i don't know what to do i'm like here you go <laughs> you know because and I had to find a system in order to do that, Teresa. Because I can't gift it to you for free on Amazon. I, I can't, mm-hmm. and I don't have enough money to send everyone a copy. What <laughs> <laughs> no, don't? And so I wrote that audio. I I paid a lot of money for that audiobook, and I cried and I cussed in that studio, like reading those chapters, like. The person who was recording it for me, like, oh man, chapter seven and eight, I was like, shit. <laughs> I said, like, give me a minute. Like, you know, it was <sighs> so tough to read those chapters. But there are people; there are over three hundred people right now who are going through that
1: audiobook. That's amazing, Jen. It's it's just it is so incredible to me the the stories that you have and the experiences that you've been through and there's a couple things that you didn't mention in your book that I want to ask you about um so for those of you that don't know what happened is you got to a place and this is what we sort of the theme of the show and, and and we're gonna I'm gonna transition I'm gonna actually start with your mother-in-law because I'm wondering if the power to forgive or how, how do you define what you did with your mother-in-law? Because I struggle with forgiveness. And the kind of fr- forgiveness that I struggle with is when I know someone's not really sorry. Mm-hmm. And when I know that the behavior hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. And when I know that I'm always going to have a difficult relationship with said person. How do you say I forgive you unless you change the definition of forgiveness? Mm-hmm. If forgiveness just means I've made my peace with it, I will try not to let it trigger me when I'm speaking to this person, well, then maybe I've, I've, I've forgiven to a certain degree. But I just, how do you forgive somebody that's not sorry or that doesn't own their side of the street or is in denial? That's such a good question.
0: And honestly, um, it's one this year that I want to help solve for a lot of people because the first place where I really start with forgiveness is helping you create your own working definition of forgiveness.
1: Okay. Because
0: just like mental health is complex and unique to you, right? Right. So is forgiveness. So one of the questions I ask people around forgiveness is when did you first hear about forgiveness? And I love to hear because everyone has a different answer, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Because that matters. It does. Which is like, when did you first
1: hear about it? Then I asked people, yeah, Catholic school, religion, right. Oh, yeah. you're exonerated and yeah. everything's exactly. fine now. I forgive you. That's how it was always explained to me. Exactly. See, so like how that is for you matters,
0: right? Mm-hmm. Then I come in and I say, was that whatever you were taught, was that exemplified? in the way that it was taught to you. So for instance, let's say you were in a home where your mom and dad said, look, Tommy's having a bad day. Cause I had to kind of do this with my girls. Like I had to get in there and say, whoa, your sister just started college. She's going through, you know, some stuff, give her some slack, right? Like I had to advocate for her a little bit when younger sister was like, right? Or vice versa, either way, okay? But I have to say, was it exemplified? And a lot of times when people look at forgiveness and I ask that second question, they're like, no, in fact, it was hypocritical. Okay. It's important. It's important to identify. When did you learn? Was it exemplified or was it hypocritical? Right? Mm -hmm. Have, have you now, the third question is, have you ever really seen or experienced this yet? And A lot of people who have to answer that third question are like, yes, but it wasn't until I did X, Y, and Z. Like they found it in a very unique way. So a lot of people who have done things that they're not proud of have learned how to forgive themselves in a prison cell. Or, you know, they got a DUI and they're sitting there and they're like, man, this is staring at me right back in my face. And I got to figure this out, right? Mm -hmm. So I try to help people create A working definition of forgiveness. And I do that by pulling from three different sources from Webster's Dictionary. I go back to the Hebrew. Okay. And then I help you create a working definition, something that is literally like A plus B equals C. Mm -hmm. Something that is so tangible that when something like your own person who causes you this grief, right, this stress, that you look at that definition and you say, oh, I know what to do with this. So when I look at what my mother-in-law did to me, it took me nine years to forgive her. Literally, God would tug Mm -hmm. on my heart and say, you need to forgive her. And I was like, I'm not forgiving her. (laughs) Like nine years of you need to. No, I'm not going to. Yeah. And that's when the forgiveness game plan that I really intend to move forward this year is helping people understand the difference that intention matters. It matters to me. And I personally believe that it matters to God as well, that someone who continually says to you, I'm sorry or forgive me. And yet their actions never change. Correct. Or or they're not really sorry. I want to help people create that working definition of forgiveness that works for you in and out of those situations so that you don't walk around going.
1: (sighs) Yeah, I think those are the hardest ones to forgive. I think that somebody could be just totally horrible to you and then they come to a place in their life where they have a lot of regret and a lot of guilt about it. And then there can be, even if they've really hurt you, there can be this closure and I think you can heal. But I think that forgiveness, uh, whatever your working definition of that, I think has to adjust uh, when it's in a situation where it's, it's, it's always going to be a difficult relationship and you have to make with certain family members, let's say, and you have to make the best of a, of a less than ideal situation if you want to keep loving them through through those feelings. And, and it's something that it has taught me that the denial runs deep. And and subconscious um, actions run deep, mm-hmm. and you can, like you say, you can only control the way you react to something. You can't control the way someone else is in their healing journey and where they are at with with wherever they are. And and if that's the place that they're at, the only thing that you can do is either decide to stay in touch with them and and have the best relationship that you can. Or, or completely cut yourself off and and I'll be honest I, I struggle a lot with that with one one particular relationship and it's something that I know is is integral to my journey um healing and moving on and moving forward and it, and getting to the bottom of so hearing your story about your mother-in-law to be honest with you I, I, and then I do want to transition to how you forgave uh, the, the gentleman that went to jail, uh, I think, but I, I don't know if that's the same situation as somebody who did what she did to me. That's just, uh, that would have been such a tough one for me. And, and I'm curious what your relationship is like to, with her now, or is it just you've forgiven her, but you guys are not in touch or, or how does, how does that look now? I want to, I want to break this down for you.
0: Um, this will stay up, right? Like this will yes. be, Kind of, okay, so I'm not going to break down the like the forgiveness game plan because I don't really want that part of it, right, of of the, of the nugget that I could give you because it is something I want to move forward this year. So I'm not going to give fair you that, okay? But fair I wanna, enough. Okay, but I want to break this down for you. I want people to understand that Um, uh, there were a lot of questions when I did the post and I said I didn't get the life insurance money. So Brian had put his mom's at work where he worked he put his mom down as a beneficiary so because i was fighting for eight months to get my girls back i had to make a decision whether or not i wanted to stay in colorado in adams county and fight gary and cassie for brian's estate i was his wife mm-hmm. I could have fought for that okay could have But I was also at the same time having to travel every two weeks out to Iowa for supervised visits. And I just, I had to make a decision. I can't fight, I can't fight both battles. And so I let the money part of it go. And at the end of eight months of fighting for my girls, the final docket was that my girls were going to be returned to me. And within months of that, you have to understand they left, belongings of mine and my daughter's outside of their house. And I went into the judicial system and said, can I please just have my belongings back? We're talking like dressers, clothing, okay? They let it sit outside and destroy, and yet at the same time refused to let me come get it. Like their, to me, their behavior was so criminal, but I just compartmentalized it and stayed focused on my mission, which was my children. Mm hmm. Once I got the kids back, once I was back in Colorado with my girls, there was definitely that piece of like, should I go back and fight for the money? And can I tell you what I thought? I what? thought if they take the money and I never talk to them again, that'll be the best thing in my life. And they did. They took the money. Mm-hmm. They sold their house. They moved out of state and I didn't talk to them. And for me, that was the best thing because that person had, and still has no remorse for her action. I mean, Mm -hmm. I find that sickening. I find that appalling. I who, who allows their granddaughter okay, my daughter, my oldest daughter, She ran her way through middle high school and college on an athletic scholarship. And I didn't have no 401k to dip into. And I didn't have a house. I didn't have a lot of different things. She ran her way through college and she walked at times to school. Who, what grandparent who received life insurance money, Doesn't ever come back. Like, look, if you don't want me to have that money, that's fine. But you could have set that money up in ways that said, you know what? When Michaela turns 16, here's a car for her and her name. Put it in both your names for all I care. But make sure that, that his children are taken care of, right? Yeah. No, she's still to this day. So walking this down was I literally wrapped her up they moved out of state and I just focused on what was happening in my own home. Park. What was in
1: front of you? Yep. What
0: was in front of me, right? You want to hear something crazy though? What a year ago, the girls biological grandpa died. Okay. Long story, not going to go into that, but because he died, Brian's brother, Keith reached out to the girls said, We're going to be in Colorado. Would you like to meet? I met Brian's brother who I hadn't seen in 18 years. And he just looked at me and he was like, it's been a long time. Not happy about how everything went. How are we? (laughs) I said, I'm good. He's like, I'm sorry. I said, I'm good. I'm sorry too. That was it. I, I like instantly forgave him. We went to dinner afterwards. This is this is Brian's brother, okay? Hmm. Several months ago, Brian's mother reached out to Amber, my youngest. Amber messages me and she says, Mom, I have to talk to you about something that's really tough for me to talk to you about. I said, bring it. She said, Kathy wants to meet for dinner or lunch or whatever, I'm conflicted, I don't want to upset you, it's been a long time. I said, personally, if you need to be a part of her story of helping her learn how to own what she did and forgive herself because she clearly does not love herself. No one who loves themselves, no one would do that to you I said you go girl you go Hmm. she said she ended up going she ended up eating she was like when she got home that day she messaged and i mean we talked but she said mom she acted just like you said (laughs) it was cold she was hard Mm -hmm. she never apologized she never even acted like anything happened and she was bitter so then Brian's brother reaches out and says, this is just like literally two two or three months ago, and says, we're all going to meet up in Tennessee. Would you like to join us? Amber just got married. We'd like to meet your new husband. So Amber went with her uncle and her grandma and grandpa, who she hadn't seen in all these years. Hmm. She said, Mom, she is so bitter, hard, cold, angry, never said a word about what happened, never apologized, said crappy things about you. To me, I I, I still, if, I, if she wants to foster a relationship with that lady, go, go ahead, right? But mm-hmm. those two, like her meeting her for lunch and then her spending time with her and her coming back to me and saying, Mom, she hasn't changed at all, right? It it was what I needed just to hear in the sense of like, no, I called it right, right? Yeah. I, I showed up for a man who looked at me in a courtroom, literally weeping, saying, if I could give my life right now to bring back your loved ones, I would do it. I am so sorry for what I did to you and your family. I called it right. I advocated for that man to get proper treatment inside of prison. I was a part of his parole hearing. I got a letter right there from him that he wrote to me. And he said, if only I could figure out how to forgive myself for what I did. And Teresa, like, that is the hardest thing. I have struggled with a lot of different things since Brian and Brittany were killed. And when I see that those things that I have struggled with affect my children, it kills me in my core. I understand. Learning how to forgive myself. That I'm not perfect. That the way that I handled those things was the best that I could in those situations. It is is so hard. And I like to help people understand, like, I am a Christian and I believe that Jesus made a way for me to be forgiven and be right with God okay but there is this complexity about that because just because I'm okay with him doesn't mean I'm okay here and let me explain this to you if I offend you you if I do something to you I betray you I say things I hurt you I rob you whatever right I might be okay this way god might forgive me for that but i gotta still fix this
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it's one of these things where i see um the jewish people because they don't believe that jesus saved them they don't believe that jesus is their savior they have a practice where if they offend someone they make it right mm-hmm. and one of my favorite things, it's one of these complex things that I, I love so much about the Jewish people is that they don't ever like offend their neighbor and then go,
1: Oh, well, Jesus,
0: will you forgive me for this? <laughs> because, right.
1: Because they the work whole, it out with that person.
0: They work it out, right? Mm-hmm. Again, um, I was in Al-Anon, so I've never been in AA, but the practices of Al-Anon are very similar, which is like if you do something, you need to make it right.
1: Right. And then some people just don't know how to do that. I I, I honestly believe that they just, they've never talked about problems. I think you mentioned that in your book is that you were in an environment or you've been in enough environments where people talked about their problems and they knew how to discuss conflict. And I think that there are so many people who are afraid of conflict. They're afraid of, of making somebody upset or I mean even in my office sometimes when we start to go at it in the morning meetings you can just feel the tension in the room and you know and I, I don't like it but I'd much rather us just duke it out in front of everybody and resolve the issue as a, as a quote-unquote work family mm-hmm. than for this person over here to be mad this person over there to be mad no let's just in a public setting, let's just hash it out. I know it's gonna take a little bit of extra time, but then we will move on from the problem. And then we will live to fight another day and, and and deal with other things. Because I mean, I grew up in a home where we couldn't talk about our problems. It was all a big secret. It was all hush hush and couldn't couldn't tell anybody what was going on. And I, I always wonder to this day, like if, 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 if with this one person in my family, if I had just, Resolved that issue and I'd been in a place where both sides could have owned things early on What would the what difference that could have made? And uh, I was never given that opportunity and I Really believe that that's what is needed But I do want to just touch back on the 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 gentleman in in jail is number one You never say what and I don't know if it's a secret and if you don't want to say it. That's okay What what has happened to him? And is he still serving time Did you testify at his parole hearing? I did a little searches about some of the the things that you were doing and the advocacy around that, but I never got to like, well, what happened? And so I'm curious at what, what became of that? Yeah. So,
0: um, he is free and, you know, as far as how all of that plays out, I think I was naive to what does that mean when, someone is in and then they get paroled. So, and it's different for everyone, but as far as it goes with him, when he was first paroled, I was told that he would go into a halfway house for a year, something like that, Mm -hmm. which basically he had to still pee and check in and, you know, was going to be monitored, which I personally feel anyone who's coming out of that kind of situation because he ended up serving 11 years.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Or 13. I think at 11 is when I went in and advocated for him. But um, but he didn't. He got out right away and I think in Colorado, I think things were full and so he was able to even skip that process and pretty much just become a free man. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no idea where he is. I don't know where he lives. I've never had the opportunity to talk with him. I lost family members because I advocated for him. I received a lot of hate from people saying, you know, how dare you let this man out or even advocate for him to get out? You know, what if he kills another person? And um, it was another thing for me where Teresa, I just kind of had to wrap it up. I just had to Mm -hmm. wrap it up and say, I did my part I the moment of truth you know the moment of all of that of are you really going to be a part of his hearing yeah I was through it all and was I there the day that he asked for that final parole I was did the judge look at me and say Jennifer what are your wishes because we want to honor you and I will never forget this feeling I I knew, I knew the weight of what my words would do. I knew if I looked at that judge and said, I don't think he's ready. I think he needs another couple more years of therapy. I knew the weight of my words, but I'd seen him over the three years go from being on a wait list to even get mental health treatment He'd never even been able to speak to someone about what he did. So the second year when he came up for parole, he was a mess. And when the judge looked at me, I said, I don't think he's ready to get out. When that third year came, I looked at a man and he, he spoke a different language. Okay. So he had an interpreter, but he looked at me and he said, I finally understand your law. He's like, look where I came from. It was okay to drink while you were driving. It was normal to walk around, you know, to drive in Russia with a bottle of vodka. He's like, I get it now. Like, the barrier, right? Of, like, it was normal from the society that he grew up in what he did. So, man, that moment of finally being able to look and say, I think he gets it. That's powerful.
1: That's so powerful.
0: I think he gets it. and. It is something that I override. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. I played, I played my part, and whatever he goes and has done since that moment, it is all on him. And I will, ne- I will never take a single ounce of responsibility for whether he hurts no nope. or doesn't, because I I did my part. I you know I, I advocated for the well being of him, and.
1: You did the right thing, Jennifer. I, I mean, honestly, it's the harder road for a lot of people. Most people would have just stayed bitter. But what you did I, was good for you. It was good for him. It was good for society, in my opinion. I don't know how to be bitter. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I am such a communicative person. If you offend me, if you offend me, I will reach out to you. I'll send you a text and say, hey, I was deeply offended by X, Y, and Z. I don't know what's going on in your world. So, I have a four part communication technique. It's called speak and be heard. And there's four parts. And I literally use that technique in and out of every single thing I do every day, even at my own doctor's office. I'll go <laughs> into my doctor and I'll be like, yo, the people who answer your phone, like, I use this four part communication technique. But anyway, if you offend me, I will send you a message with a very clear four part communication. And in the last year I have had three people block me, block me on social media because they didn't have the courage to have a conversation with me, a conversation with me.
1: People hate confrontation. Jennifer, I can tell you from somebody who has used passive aggressive behavior because I was too afraid of confrontation. Confrontation is very triggering to people who have never had that face-to-face conflict. And it's something that you have to practice and do in a, like you said, that four-part method or in a in a gentle way, in a that th- you have to do it, but people aren't taught healthy relationship skills. And I believe we are where we're at with the mental health crisis that we're currently experiencing because healthy relationships weren't modeled for many people as children. And then they grow up and they become unhealthy relationship people at work (laughs) and they bring those same things into work. So that's why your work is so, so important. And I think it's even more remarkable that you're not a therapist. You didn't go through all these years of medical school. You're, you're self-trained and you've worked with all these good people like Doc Springer, you mentioned in your book. Um, I've, I just read a book with her and I think Michael Surge, the retired police officer. And wow, there are some really amazing people in the mental health space that are just doing great work. And, and definitely, I, I believe that you are at the, at, you're at the, leading edge of where I think we need to be when it comes to this issue. And I'm just so, I'm honored that you took this time to talk with us today about some of these issues.
0: Yeah. It's, it, this, like I said, the, the forgiveness piece, right. And the communication like that, that is where my focus really is going to be this year is how can I help those two pieces? Cause if I pull back, the foundation underneath the hood of my book. It was that I learned. So you remember the chapter that says when good isn't good enough. Mm -hmm. If I pull that back is like, okay, that's the foundation that I began on was that I would never really be good enough. Mm -hmm. That's just not attainable. (laughs) Right. So how do I balance always wanting to be better? Yeah. Always learning, always, you know, owning my mistakes. And yet, loving myself and saying I'm enough, I'm valuable mm. and worthy. How do I hold those two things? Two things at
1: the same time, right? I, str- I struggle with that too, yes. Jennifer. So it's
0: not so I don't hate me, but I'm not giving myself an excuse. Right. I don't beat myself up when I fail, but I look at myself and say, "You go do better." Like, how do you hold those both? And that was that foundation for me that I started to, to build on. And then what I learned the communication was look at me. If I walk in anywhere today, do you think anyone's going to have a flipping idea that I have a titanium plate in the back of my head? No. Are they going to have any idea the life I've lived just by looking at me? In fact, most people would judge me and think, wow, she's pretty. She's put together. And if you look at me and see my success as a coach and an author and all these things, if I don't tell you the depth of where I've come, it's so easy to look at me and just be like, oh, must be nice. And I'm, that's why you see me shape
1: those words I do the way that I do. You mm-hmm. like- tell the stories in the way that you do. It and makes- you tell a very compelling story. You're a natural storyteller. You're natural with your words. And I think that you have a gift and you know you have a gift. And so when you know you have a gift that – you do well, like with me in interviewing, like I know I'm, I'm good at this and I'm not saying that to brag. I just know right. that I have a knack for it. Yeah. So when you know you have a gift, you should share that gift with others and you should use that to do good. And that's yeah. what you're doing. So, like I said, those are my two foundations
0: this year is the forgiveness and the communication. Because if you look at me, can, can you imagine if you're the front end receptionist at a doctor's office? I walk in. And I hand you a Medicare card.
1: Yeah, of course, you can't see the the, the, the scars and, and, the, right? and the trauma. No, you see a very pretty put together, you know. But I can feel that tension.
0: And so my communication was born out of saying, I can tell that you don't understand what's happening right now. I can tell you're uncomfortable. I can tell you're confused. Like, why does this lady have a Medicare card? And so do you know what I did? I learned how to communicate in such a way that you would go, oh. So when I would feel that like judgment or confusion, right? I would look at them. I'd say, I bet you're wondering why I have this card, right? It's because I have a titanium plate in the back of my head and my husband and daughter were killed. And like people would look at me, you know, the people who at (laughs) first I felt judgment from, right? They would look at me and go, wow, that's quite the story. And then like the next time I went in, right? That receptionist never looked at me that way again. Mm -hmm. She never once looked at me when I landed down my Medicare card and didn't, you know, judge me or go, wait a minute. Why do you have that card? She knew. Yeah. So communication and forgiveness for me are two of my greatest strengths. But like you said, people don't like confrontation. So sometimes that puts me into this arena where I'm like, really? You (laughs) want (sighs) to go? Yeah. And so, having to kind of come down from that sometimes in a rain and say, you just don't know. Right. Like,
1: I I think, I, I think what has helped me a lot, Jennifer, and it may help others going forward is that I just try to think in my mind, everybody out there, they're doing the best they can with the skills that they have. And not everybody gets better skills and, there have definitely been times even in my own life where my denial was so deep when I was going for all the bad guys and just kept banging my head against the proverbial wall with men who didn't want to commit. Right. I kept doing it over and over and over again. And it didn't matter how many people would tell me to stop going for those type of people. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter. And so that just, show, that just tells me that there was some denial there. And so, if I can look at myself and say, Yes, there's been denial in my life mm-hmm. about the way I am, can't I look at somebody else who's in denial or who I know is just never going to see things the way I see things about things and go, Okay, maybe I just have to accept and embrace where they're at in, in their journey because I would want someone to embrace me with where I'm at in my journey. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's what forgiveness might look like for me is just being able to be at peace with where people are at in their individual life stages because we all come into this world in in different places like you say due to dna our current environment and our past experiences we all are a, a mixture of all those things and, and nobody is the same so i think probably to end
0: this um especially since we, you know, we came in this around the forgiveness aspect. Um, I think I'll never, and I don't know if you've seen this post. It was probably two weeks ago, but basically at the end of a speaking engagement, I had a gentleman ask me, he said, do you think you would have been able to forgive Mr. Goonan if he never served any time or basically wasn't sorry?
1: That's a great question.
0: Um I just remember perceiving this deep pain from him. He was about my age. He had come to an event that um, the Thompson School District had put on for all parents. And so I just looked at him and I said, can I ask you a question? I said, did something happen to your daughter? And the person has never served any time for it. And I just, I had this feeling Again, I'll never know, but I had this feeling that his daughter was raped and that the person got off. And so he said, yes, something did happen to my daughter, and the person has never had to serve time for what they did. And so I looked at him, and I said, here's the thing I want you to understand. I said, if you brought Mr. Gunan into this room right now, the man who killed my husband and daughter, and you beat him to a pulp, killed him it's never going to give me back what was taken from me. I said, but make no mistake. If the person who hurt my loved ones was out, free, unremorseful, continuing to hurt other people, I would pursue justice. I would do it because it's the right thing to do. But I wouldn't do it because when I got justice, when I got the person behind the bars that somehow all of a sudden I was going to feel better because right. whatever they took from you, you can't get it back. Yeah. Do you see that difference? Right. I it's do. A, you have to separate that out. And that's part of the, the forgiveness game plan. That's a little bit of it. Right. It's like separating it out. And I just, I will re, always remember the look on his face because that's what he needed to hear. He actually needed me to. To say oh you know go chase that ass like go chase that mm-hmm. person especially if that person is out hurting other women right like no go go protect right go be that thing that you're conflicted about don't do it because you think that you're gonna feel better from what he took from you but you do it because it's the right thing to do mm-hmm. and i i don't know if that makes sense or not it does
1: it, it reminds me of even, like, the whole idea of the death penalty. I don't think it would make me feel better to see someone die or be hurt because they hurt somebody that I love. Like, I just don't envision that that would give me any closure or, or any peace. Yep. So it's sort I, of the same thing. Yeah, I wouldn't feel better. Mm-hmm. And even,
0: even my ex-mother-in-law. I mean, I feel bad for her
1: to be in that place, that mind state. (laughs) Right, all
0: of these years later, and she's still locked up in that. And you know, I had to wait a long time to talk about these things. Like, I'm pretty free freely talking about it. And if she ever sees this thing, like, what's the worst thing that's gonna happen? She's gonna show up at my door, and we're gonna fight it out and hug. And I mean, whatever, right? Like, but if she, Teresa, if she came to my door right now right now and i answered and she just looked at me and said i'm sorry i would welcome her into my home and give her a hug and say let's eat but until she does that i cannot welcome that lady i just cannot
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know now I you know fighting it out with my girls fighting it out through teenage stuff that's different i'll go through any dark valley without any dark valley with them but not my ex-mother-in-law like no she's she's, you know she's well and
1: there's there's mutual trust and respect and love that has happened over a period of years with people like your family and your daughters um but once some sort of a betrayal like what you mentioned has happened it's very difficult uh, to to just move past it like nothing's happened but i do believe that there's something to be said with taking the high road Oh, yeah. and, and, and finding something in your heart to just say, I forgive you. Um, it's it's something that I definitely will say is a, is a work in progress for myself. But you have given me so much hope, Jennifer, because to see the things that have happened to you and to things that you've been through and the ways in which you've handled yourself and the work that you do now, it is just nothing short of just phenomenal. And I'm, and I'm like I said, I'm so honored that you took the time to do the show with me today. As we close out, tell tell the audience a little bit about where they can find you. I do have a look, I think right here, I have a little banner on for your website that I'll show right here. Um, yeah, so just- so,
0: I mean, the best thing is honestly, is Jennifer Tracy inspire. I've got an academy that's coming out. that's $7 a month. It will have four private communities one of them is redefine your mission the second is borrow my hope the third is fueled by courage and the fourth is called faithful friends and those private communities what i basically have done is i have packaged up all of my stuff and put it under one hood you get the self-help you get the books you get the podcasts and then there's four private communities and my plan this year is honestly to get into the dirt to just boots on the ground say Look, at $7 a month, come in. I've got a live event on X, Y, and Z date. And um, I I really plan on teaching Speak and Be Heard and the Forgiveness Game Plan for the rest of this year to as many
1: people who will come to those events. I love it. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. All right, Jennifer, I am going to go to full screen uh, and just do my closeout, but I will meet you just very briefly, if you don't mind, backstage. Bye. All right. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. This was a heavy show, but I think a very important one. And I hope that, uh, Jennifer's message inspired you to forgive someone in your life and to think about forgiveness a little bit differently. Um, next week I have another, uh, mental health, uh, themed podcast. So, uh, please stay tuned for that. Um, just thank you guys so much for all of your support. Make sure you, uh, Like me over on YouTube. I'm trying to uh, get my subscribers up a little bit, uh, get more people exposed to the show. But uh, have a great night, and I hope you have an amazing start to your work week, and I'll talk to you guys later. Bye now.